is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me is Keith Black Trudeau. Today we got a big one. I mean, a really, really big one. Keith, have you been thinking about this all day? Because I know I have. We're doing Ben Wallace today. Yeah, I if 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 I hadn't been thinking about this all day, I have no business doing this podcast because <laughs> this is this is one of the iconic uh, Detroit Pistons of all time and really one of the iconic NBA players of the last uh 20 or 30 years so yeah let's I, I am just so excited to get into this yeah we've got plenty of discussion planned for you today about a, a few things Hall of Fame the 96 draft is Ben Wallace the greatest defensive player of all time or one of them uh, there's going to be a lot of talk today but uh first you know I want to just uh, uh attend to a little bit of business I want to, uh, and I've done it on Twitter and everything, but I want to personally shout out and thank um, James Edwards and Nick Hankel of uh, Bun and Cardigan for mentioning our podcast this week. Certainly appreciate that. Um, also, uh, uh, Bryce Simon and uh, and Amari uh, uh, Sinkova for mentioning our podcast on multiple occasions. Uh, they they host a great podcast as well called the Piston Pulse. Uh, definitely recommend you give that a listen. So. Just want to thank everybody else in Pistons Twitter who have uh, supported this show so far. It's It's been great. and uh, We've had a lot of fun doing it. And, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and then there's another gigantic, huge thing to, to, to uh, talk about that happened last night. The Detroit Pistons brought back the teal jerseys. Keith, your immediate response, because I, I know I was incredibly excited. Um. I have mixed feelings, which, to be honest, if you had told me 10 years ago they'd be bringing back the teal at some point, I, I probably would have responded way more negatively. But I, I understand uh, I, I, like, some background information for people that don't know. I, I was there. I was the original target demographic of the teal. I was 14 uh, when they originally announced uh, the teal back in 1996. I was also I, that demo. Yep. <laughs> I, I I, I was the first kid in school with a teal jersey. I, I was excited uh, about the the new change, and, and you know, it, for for a great many reasons, um, you know, the the teal era, which if you don't know, is defined in Detroit the the five years that they wore the teal uniforms uh, between uh, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, and two thousand one. Uh, they they were they were marked by a lot of uh, you know disappointment and frustration, and I know it's easy to look back and say, well, they were you know barely below you know around five hundred team during that time. They won fifty four games at one point. You know that's better than what we have now. Yeah, but now we don't have a top five NBA player like the Pistons did at that time. I, I I'm pretty sure if the the Pistons had a top five player. Uh, like say you know John Morant or or Kevin Durant or Luka Doncic, and they were struggling to even make the playoffs, let alone get out of the first round in the last five years. I I think 
Piston fans would look on these last five years a lot differently, but we've been rebuilding. The the Pistons during the Teal era were supposed they already had that top shelf superstar. They were supposed to take that next step. So that that that's where I come from as a fan. But I understand this is for a lot of the younger fans that have been, especially on Pistons Twitter, that have been clamoring for years uh, to bring this back. They like this design. They don't have the baggage that I that I have uh, personally. So I, I understand where they're coming from. Sometimes I don't think they get where I'm coming from. So this is my explanation for it. Look, NBA teams can only do throwbacks, you know, once every five years to my understanding on uh, anniversaries of fives and zeros. So, you know, they'll wear the teal uniform this year as an alternate. Maybe I'm guessing they'll even do the whole teal court as well. And, you know, 12 months from now, you know, they'll move on to something else and, whether you like the teal or not, you won't seal it. You won't see the old designs again for another five years. So I, I, I would caution, you know, the people my age don't react too strongly to this. This is not for you. This is for people much younger than you. Um, I, I am excited that everyone else is excited. I'll put it that way. Well, I don't know what Keith's talking about. Cause this is for me. I wanted this <laughs> badly. I'm 36 years old. Um, when I started, you know, watching the Pistons, obviously they were in that classic red, white, and blue. They had that, that beautiful red Jersey, um, there, you know, uh, in the early Grant Hill days, love that one. But when I, but when I was really dialed into the Pistons as a young kid, it was during that teal era. And, and for me, that was, you know, that was the Pistons. That was my Pistons, uh, growing up, you know, before obviously, you know, the going to work and all that stuff. Um, and I love all those looks and I love the classic Pistons look. It's, it's, it's awesome. But that teal, man, it is, there's just something about it. I, I, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it, and it goes with just about everything. I mean, I'm thinking about outfits. I'm already planning out outfits for, for game day. I mean, I'm ready. And, um, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia for the 90s. You know, the Grizzlies, you brought up John Morant, the Grizzlies brought back their Vancouver Grizzlies look recently um the nuggets have basically kind of gone back to that that old uh uh cityscape nuggets look that we that we kind of grew up with and a lot you know a lot of teams are just going back to that the Cavs are kind of going back to a modified version of their late 80s early 90s look as well but yeah i mean the teal is where it's at and and, and you know i know that you know like you said it is for the kids the gen z kids they they love all the stuff that we wore in the '90s, and they're kind of bringing all that stuff back. Um, I hope they don't bring it. I hope that I hope they don't bring everything back because we made yeah. some some bad decisions. But uh, the teal is not one of them. So I'm super excited for that to come back. I've already put my my name in the hat for uh, you know to to for the Pistons to email me as soon as the jerseys are available. I will be purchasing a Kate Cunningham jersey. I will be looking for hats and t-shirts and all that stuff. So I am excited about that. Um, can't wait. Can't wait. So, all right, let's jump right into it. Let's talk talking about a guy who actually played in those teal jerseys near the tail end of the teal run, Mr. Ben Wallace. We're going to go start back at the beginning at Virginia Union University, as Mr. Mason would say. 
were you aware uh, of Ben Wallace during the uh, Virginia Union University time, Keith? Oh, God, no. I don't. I don't think anyone was. <laughs> um, well, for some background information, uh, Ben Wallace wasn't even really a, a full-time basketball player until really his senior year in high school when uh, Charles Oakley um, of the New York Knicks discovered him at a uh, basketball camp. And he didn't really decide to try and uh, make a career out of basketball until, you know, 12th grade. And even even doing so, he had to do a couple of years at community college, even before Virginia Union University could uh, give him a scholarship. So, but yeah, even in, in his two years at Virginia Union, um, he wasn't terribly impressed. I mean, he was, you know, he gave you the Ben Wallace stats that you would figure Ben Wallace would do in college. You know, he was a double, double guy, uh, 13 points, 10 rebounds, uh, not terribly efficient at all. Uh, barely shot over 50% for his career for a guy that, you know, plays around the room primarily. That's not great for NBA scouts to look at and shot below 40% from the, from the foul line. So, uh, by 1996, you know, when the NBA moved to uh, a two-round draft, it, it was no shock to me at all that, um, you know, he went undrafted. I don't think I even knew his name uh, until, you know, his second or third, third year in the league, which we'll get into. But uh, real quick, I want to make a note. Uh, ben Wallace, everyone knows that he went undrafted in that famed 96 draft. Yeah. Um. But what people don't realize is that he had to he had to fail a couple of times even before he caught on, you know, with the Bullets. Uh, he played in summer league with the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics, I don't know if it was uh, M.L. Carr or Rick Pitino. They were the GM and uh, coach at the time. Uh, but the thing is with Ben Wallace, he was maybe six foot eight, maybe. I would say he was closer to six seven. I always like to think that the reason he grew the afro out is to make himself look taller. Um, but he, he is nowhere near six nine. If you if you look at him and LeBron James, I think LeBron, if, if he's not the same height, he might be a little bit taller. So you're looking at Ben Wallace, who obviously pops from an athletic standpoint. He looks like a guy that belongs in the NBA. Uh strong, fast, great motor. Uh, but it was hard to find a position for him. So that he, he looked a little bit too short to, well, way too short to play center. He actually looked like he might be short for a power forward type, uh, especially since he didn't, he couldn't really shoot to space the floor. So th what the Celtics tried to do was ask if he uh, could convert to play a uh, shooting guard. Like they tried to make him into like a big wing as, a, wow. as opposed to an underside. Yeah. It, it and it obviously it didn't work out because the Celtics didn't even give him a training camp and you know, invite after summer league. You know that was it. They cut they, they cut their ties with him. Is that Rick Pitino Celtics? Uh, yeah, I, I want to say Rick Pitino, but I I don't remember that for a fact. I, I'm about ninety percent certain it was Rick Pitino, but I I just want to put that out there. I don't I don't like to say things I'm not a hundred percent sure of. Um, but from then he actually went to Italy to try out for a, an Italian club. And they were they uh, passed on him too, so he, even though he caught on with the bullets uh, to start that that ninety six ninety seven season, uh, he had to go through several hoops just to get that opportunity. 
it's unbelievable to think of one of the greatest defensive players almost almost not even catching on in the NBA. It almost yeah. didn't even happen. Um, yeah. Now, I know that we're going to go and do this uh, NBA uh, redraft for the 96 draft. It's I'm guessing it's going to be somewhere around December. But it, if we could do a mini one right now, just kind of looking at this draft, this is obviously the greatest draft of all yeah. time. Um, I think that if you if you know what you know about Ben, he's easily a top ten pick, maybe even a top five pick. I mean, it it's hard not you know you look at the you know obviously Kobe, Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, um, you know those guys Steve Nash are are going early, and and you know obviously guys like Marcus Camby, Marbury, uh, Peja, they all had great careers but did they have a ben wallace type career where he was one of the best defensive players in the league uh a team could be built around him i I mean could could does is ben wallace going in the top five do you think yeah this is kind of funny because you look at the at the top of the draft and uh you know marcus camby is is second overall right and obviously he wouldn't go two in a redraft but the, the reasoning for drafting him was, you know, this is the next big, uh, big defensive center that's going to come out. And he's going to anchor our defense for our franchise for the next 10 years. You know, that, that's exactly what Ben Wallace was. Uh, you could really switch uh, Marcus Camby out, put Ben Wallace in there at two and not blink an eye. And, and you look at that redraft and say, oh, you know what? That makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, Ben Wallace wouldn't go two in a redraft because you have Kobe Iverson. Uh, Nash, uh, you have multiple MVPs in there. Uh, yeah. But I, I think there's a strong chance. I'm not going to give it away, but I think there's, yes, there's a strong chance that he goes top five. Yep. I'm, I am waiting with bated breath to do that 96 redraft. Um, each, every week, I think about pure chaos where we just get rid of our chronological order and we just do it. And then we do another one the next week. And then we do it again the week after that. But okay. So uh, Ben Wallace goes undrafted. As you mentioned, he goes to Italy. He tries out with the Celtics in the the summer league. None of that works out, but the Bullets do take him on. And, you know, I was listening to uh, the Knuckleheads podcast earlier today. It's uh, Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles podcast. They had great podcast. Yeah, I love it. I listen. I've been I've been listening to it nonstop. Shout out to those guys, because that has become one of my favorite podcasts. they were talking, they had Juwan Howard on and Juwan was talking about Ben Wallace being on that Wizards team, that Bullets team that that he was on um, near the tail end and uh, was talking about how Ben was coming on um, off the bench, would only play a very limited amount of minutes, but during that time would get like six, seven rebounds and, you know, two, three yep. block shots. Um, when do you think that you kind of became aware of this Ben Wallace guy in, in Washington or even Orlando? All right. So yes, that's a hundred percent right. Uh, ben Wallace was a, was a spot player. Uh, obviously Washington, despite not being a very good team was super deep in the front court with Chris Weber, Juwan Howard, and then, you know, big George Murison, seven foot seven monster in the middle. There just wasn't a whole lot of minutes to go around for Ben. He was more of a, end of the rotation, uh, deep bench guy. But when he got in, he was, he, man, he, he popped. I, I, I remember distinctly several times when he got in against the Pistons. Oh, he kicked their ass. 
uh, th this was, um, and this was not one game. This was at least two or three different occasions where he would come in, and that's at least when I first noticed him. I know that's when George Baja first noticed him because he he and Fred McLeod, um, they were both play-by-play uh, -play, uh, for the Pistons, uh, depending on what game it was. And, yeah, they, they would notice him almost immediately because he, he would come in, he would play maybe 15, 20 minutes, but he would get, you know, several steals. He would block a couple shots. Uh, he would be a monster on the offensive glass. Uh, yeah, just a high – he was exactly one of those players where you look on another team and you say, man, that guy, he, he you know, he, he's not uh, getting a great opportunity there. He's barely playing. But, man, if we could get him on our team – especially with the Pistons at that time, their weakness was up front. They were a very soft team uh, defensively. And yeah, he was exactly the type of player that you look at and say, man, if we could get him over here, uh, he, he could do some really special things because you, you could see, even though he didn't score a lot of points, uh, the athleticism, the motor, like everything that I love from a Pistons fan perspective after watching um Dennis Rodman for so many years. Uh, ben Wallace had a lot of those uh, same qualities. Well, it's, uh, you know, I just as an aside, looking at that Washington Bullets team, are they not the uh, the very epitome of maybe we should have waited and seen what was going to happen? Because Chris Weber, Juwan Howard, Rasheed Wallace, Rod Strickland, Ben Wallace, like – I mean, if these if these guys would have waited for four years, maybe I mean they could have been a real problem in the Eastern Conference. I, I I don't know. It's just you 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 see a lot of that in the '90s of teams just they didn't know what they had and and moving guys uh, way too early. Yeah, I I guess with the with the uh, bullets slash wizards of the mid to late '90s. It just didn't seem like it was meant to work out. You know, they, they paired, um, they were able to pair Juwan Howard and Chris Weber together almost immediately. And they were never really healthy at the same time. Chris Weber was hurt frequently to begin with. Then Juwan Howard got hurt later on in the 90s. And they, they had one of the best pure point guards um, that I've ever seen in Rod Strickland. But the problem is they really didn't have any shot creation. Like Chris Weber was probably their best pure shot creator off the dribble. And Chris Weber was their, you know, starting power forward. They just they they had some shooters. Like I don't know Tracy Murray, they had him, they had Tim Legler, but those were catch and shoot guys. They didn't have anyone that would really uh damage you off the dribble, uh just creating his own shot. Like um Strickland was a great ball handler, but he wasn't a shooter. So yeah, I, I remember those those bullets teams as maybe uh, I, I don't want to say poor roster construction because they were built exactly like how you would expect a '90s team to be built. It's just they they didn't have any uh, effective wings. They had the big men, they had the the point guard that everyone um, would want on their team, but at, like the two three positions, they they really didn't have much of anything. I, and again, they had Chris Webber, Juwan Howard, George Mirasan. You had you know an oversized center and two power forwards. So one of those guys would have to play the three all the time. And that really showed up uh, against the Pistons, for example, because Grant Hill would just eat them alive because they just had no foot speed. And that was kind of their downfall through that entire era. They, they were just too slow of a team, I think, uh, to be much of a factor.
Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, just one of those things we'll, we'll always have to wonder about. So after spending three years in Washington, the, uh, the Bullets, or the, which have now become the Wizards, traded Ben Wallace to the Orlando Magic for Isaac Austin, an interesting name that I think a lot of people forgot, a guy who won most improved player uh, yeah. with, uh, with the Miami Heat. Him and Vashawn Leonard were kind of the, these out-of-nowhere guys during that time. I remember that team very vividly. Uh, but, you know, uh, Austin only spent a year in Orlando, and then he was like the, the, a gigantic journeyman. But this isn't the Isaac Austin podcast. It's the Ben Wallace podcast. This is where Ben Wallace started to kind of shine out a little bit. He played 81 games for the team. He had uh, nine and a half rebounds a game, almost three block shots a game. Doesn't score a whole lot, but then Ben never really did. Um, do you think that Joe Dumars is sitting over here thinking, well, we got to get rid of Grant Hill? This Ben Wallace kid looks great. Or do you think Ben was just part of the train? Just, you know, we're whatever. All right. So, and, and we'll, we'll get into this when we do our Joe Dumars uh, episode at a later date, but I, I don't think that Joe Dumars was in a hurry to, he, I don't, I certainly don't think he was in a hurry to unload Grant Hill, one of the top three or four players in the league at that time. But I, I, I don't think that, I'll put it this way. I, I think he wanted to to start his own thing, and he had a vision of the franchise that if it included Grant, great. If not, then he was going to still do it his own way. And un- undoubtedly, because you have to remember, when I've already brought up that Ben Wallace, when he got into the game against the Pistons when he was in Washington, you know, he 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 was an ass kicker. He just every time uh, he made himself noticed, and I guarantee you that Joe Dumars was noticing him. On, on the court. And I, I will say this, uh, you know, pe- people try to do the uh, revisionist history of, well, the, the Orlando Magic gave up on Ben Wallace. Uh, they, uh, you know, they, they could have easily sent the Pistons bow outlaw and the Pistons would have been fine. That No, that's BS. Uh, first off, um, Ben Wallace was a free agent uh, in the summer of 2000, just like uh, Grand Hill was. It was a sign and trade both ways. And I can promise you that Joe, the number one free agent target on Joe's list with his limited uh, at, uh, payroll at his disposal was Ben Wallace. I, I have no doubt. And look, Orla- Orlando could have, you know, they could have signed Grant Hill and tried to finagle another sign and trade with the Pistons so they could pay uh, Ben Wallace what he thought he was worth. But Let's be honest, I don't think that they believed that, and erroneously, obviously, but I, I don't think that they believed that Ben Wallace was as good as he actually was. And I, I think that's kind of weird considering, uh, just going back one year real quick, uh, the Orlando Magic were the least talented team in basketball, arguably, uh, for, for that 99-2000 season. They, they were picked by most people to finish did last in the entire league. That team finished five hundred. And if you look at their roster up and down, it is kind of mind boggling. And Ben Wallace is the only name that, that pops, that, that, that sticks out to you. He, he was a full-time starter the entire season, didn't play a ton of minutes for a starting center. But the fact that that Orlando team had a top 10 defense and finished 500, and that, that should have tipped somebody off that maybe this Ben Wallace guy was doing something, even though his numbers weren't great yet. 
that maybe this Ben Wallace guy was worth holding on to. But Orlando, for whatever reason, uh, I guess they were uh, starstruck with Grant Hill and the idea of getting, you know, Tim Duncan and, and getting Tracy McGrady. And, you know, Grant Hill was the furthest thing from their minds, which at the time, maybe, you know, maybe I can't blame them. Maybe, maybe if I have my eyes on Tim Duncan, I'm not thinking as hard as maybe I should be about keeping this Ben Wallace uh, guy that, you know, if the price of getting Grant Hill and Tim Duncan is, is this Ben Wallace guy that uh, averages, you know, eight points and or six points, five points, eight rebounds, you know, so be it. But, you know, Joe Dumars clearly saw something that at least Orlando didn't say uh, because, you know, he, he went all in on Ben Wallace. He gave him uh, 34 million over six years, which even at the time, I mean, for for two thousand, uh, for the year two thousand money, uh, that is a lot in the NBA, and it turned out to be one of the greatest free agent bargains you know ever. I mean, it technically, it counts as a sign and trade, but that's my 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 point is, uh, Ben Wallace was undervalued by just about everybody, but you know, credit to Joe, at least in those first four or five years running the the Pistons, he was able to find massively undervalued players at bargain prices. And, you know, his, his very first, uh, the first piece in his championship building block was Ben Wallace. Yeah. So Ben comes over in a trade, obviously mm-hmm. sign and trade Grant Hill goes to Orlando, Ben Wallace, Chucky Atkins come over, comes over to Detroit. Um, immediately Ben makes an impact yes. uh, on the boards. He, he gets, he's immediately is averaging 13 boards a game over, over two, uh, two and a half blocks in his second year with Detroit, he gets three and a half blocks a game. That is insane. I mean, guys that are like seven foot aren't doing that. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. So talk to me about that early impact. Those first two years of Ben, before we get into the going to work, <clears throat> yeah. talk to me. Yeah. It show me how it did it pay off immediately. Cause it looks like it did. It did. It, it did. And the, and the thing is, it, it's so clear when you look at the numbers, and 20 years ago, we just weren't capable of seeing it uh, because the the Pistons that that first year with um, it, it was the very last year of the teal. Uh, they had already announced that they were going to go away from the teal after the end of the that 2000 2001 season. Uh, it was basically Joe Dumars uh, version of you know re- rebuilding the team around uh, Jerry Stackhouse, who was the star that he inherited. Uh, ben Wallace, who was the star that he had traded for, and he, uh, I want to make it known, Chucky Atkins came along in that deal. He was also a, a player from Orlando that Joe had his eyes on. But the, the Pistons weren't very good in 2000, 2001. I think they won 30, 32 games, something like that. And Jerry Stackhouse score average was averaging 29 points a game. Everyone was looking at it like, you know, Jerry Stackhouse was the only player on the team that was really carrying any any water and it was actually ben wallace was the best player in that team if you looked at it you know the the pistons grand hills last year that 2000 season were a bottom 10 offensive or defensive team they were terrible defensively uh with ben wallace that first uh 2001 season they were a top 10 defensive team it's just that nobody noticed it because they played at the fastest pace in the league so they were giving up a lot of points but they actually were bad because they were so inefficient offensively. It wasn't because they couldn't defend anybody. And 
if you watch the games, it was pretty damn clear because Ben Wallace was just, he was disruptive as hell, even on a team that was bad, even on a team that didn't really have that many uh, quality defensive players. He was just wrecking havoc all over the place. They weren't winning and the, the scores were high because they were just trying to fast break everybody to death. But if you look at his effect on the game, they, that team actually could have won a lot more games than they did. And it, it was weird because I think Ben Wallace came in fifth in defensive player of the year voting that year. He had actually, he had more defensive player of the year votes than he had votes for the all defensive team, which is, is kind of crazy. Yeah. But I, if, if he, all right, if you would have taken that situation today where we will look much more closely at pace in the year 2022 than we did 20 years ago, we, we were just looking at raw point totals. Uh, I, I think he would have been much more noticed uh, more quickly today than he was uh, back at the time. It, it's just, it's, it just feels like a steal, you know, even though you get rid of Grant Hill, um, who was unquestionably one of the best players in the league. Um, even if Grant goes to Orlando and stays healthy, it still feels like a steal because, you know, Ben Wallace is putting up just generational numbers. He wins the defensive player of the year, mm -hmm. his second season in, with the Pistons. I mean, automatically it's already paying off. Then, you know, Rick Carlisle comes in the next year and now the team is actually successful. Now they're winning 50 games. They're getting to the playoffs. They're doing some things in the playoffs. Um, ben wins another another uh, defensive player of the year award, makes all defensive team, uh, becomes an all-star. Talk to me about uh, Rick Carlisle and his uh, effect on Ben Wallace um, and how the, what Ben Wallace's effect on the Pistons were to get them into becoming, you know, this, this suddenly very successful team. So that, that first year with uh, when the Pistons went back to the red, white, and blue, uh, they brought in Rick Carlisle, one of the most uh, valued assistants in the NBA, to be their head coach. Uh, he came in from Indiana. And Rick Carlisle, uh, if you know anything about Rick Carlisle over the last 20 years, he is all about efficiency. He, he is all about uh, doing things offensively and defensively uh, that lead to wins uh, over losses. And he was the very first... I don't want to say no one else appreciated Ben Wallace, but he was the first person to say, I, I'm going to make Ben Wallace the, the foundation of my uh, team philosophy. And Ben Wallace, that, that first 2001-2002 uh, season, like you said, he wins his first defensive player of the year award, but he does it leading the league in blocks and rebounds. And, and to give you some context on how difficult that is, uh, here are the, here is the list of all the players that have led the league in, in blocks and rebounds in the same season. Keeping in mind that the NBA didn't keep that statistic uh, blocks anyway until 1974. So Bill Russell and Wilt aren't uh, they don't they aren't applicable here. But since 1974, that's still a very long time. Right. Uh, here 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 is the list: uh, Ben Wallace, Dwight Howard, David Robinson, Bill Walton, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That that's it. Five guys. That if ever, if you think of how difficult it is uh, to be an elite rim protector in the NBA and how difficult it is to be a elite uh, glass cleaner in the NBA. Now, think about th those are two very, not very different, but those are two different uh, skill sets and those are two different disciplines. Now, think about being the guy that has to do both on the same play. 
to be the guy that disrupts a shot and the guy that cleans up the the garbage at the end. It, it, not only does that take uh, an amazing amount of athleticism, but that just takes a motor, like just an incredible motor. And if you look at these other guys, they're they're seven foot monsters. Kareem seven two, Bill Walton. I don't care what his listing says. He was at least seven three, seven maybe seven four. David Robinson seven one. Dwight Howard. I think he was maybe 6'11". He was close to a 7-footer. Ben Wallace was 6'8", as I, as we've been over this before. Uh, he he is entirely unique uh, in that aspect. Just just the ability to to impact the game at a level of a guy that's 7 feet tall, and he's 4 or 5 inches shorter than these guys. Uh, it, is, it is really difficult, unless you watched him play, to, to articulate accurately just what an effect he could have on a basketball game uh, despite, you know, being a guy that would give you six or seven points, maybe 10 points on a really good night. I'm just looking at this 2003 stat line is 15.4 rebounds a game, 15.4. That is, that is insane. I mean, guys aren't doing that. That's not, that's just not normal. It's not something you see all the time. Um, you know, three and a half blocks a game, you know, yeah, he doesn't score points, but like he's, he's preventing other teams from scoring points, like uh, at an amazing clip. So let's move forward to the big year. Let's get to 2004. Obviously, you know, this is the year that Ben Wallace doesn't win the defensive player of the year. He, he wins it four times. He takes a break in the middle. They give it to Meta World Peace. Ron Artest. Ron Artest, right. Uh, Which he was known back then. As he, right. Um, which, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think Ron was a great defender. I don't know. I don't know if I would give it to him that year or not. I don't, I'm not sure. You, you would probably make a great case for him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what I really want to focus on is the NBA finals. I want to, I want to shoot all the way to that. Um, no one has been able to do what Ben Wallace did to Shaq. I mean, he manhandled him. He 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 shut down the entire Lakers team. I mean, that Lakers team uh, relied on the ability to get to Shaq and and have Kobe, you know, do his thing, and and they were able to shut down both those guys. But a lot of the the reason that Lakers team lost was because Ben Wallace was just not enabling Shaq to do anything. So, talk to me about that performance in in the NBA Finals. Okay, so, I mean, there, there's a bit revisionist on that. I Someone remarked to me that it was, um, that, that that finals was uh, as close to a thing as Bill Russell versus Wilt Chamberlain, as, as we've seen uh, since those two were actually in the finals against each other. And it was actually a great point, uh, because if you look at Shaq's finals numbers, uh, just about 27 points, 11 rebounds, shot 63% from the field. And you, you look at those numbers and you say, well, wow, he, 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 he destroyed Ben Wallace. Um, how, how are we, but no, uh, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Uh, the, the Pistons strategy, uh, in that finals, uh, was simply this, uh, we are going to single cover Shaq with, with Ben Wallace, and we are going to focus the rest of our attention on Kobe Bryant and making sure that those outside shooters don't get uh, rhythm looks. And 
if you look at Shaq's numbers in the 04 finals, uh, they are nothing compared to what he did against uh, Dikemi Matumbo uh, in, in Rick Smith's and, and Todd McCullough in the previous three trips to the finals where he was clearly the best player in the court, most dominant. Uh, Shaq got his numbers against Ben uh, at a very efficient level, uh, but Ben also prevented him from getting those easy uh, inside touches way more often than any other center would. You you put you single cover Shaq at that time with any other center in the league with no help. Uh, he he's probably averaging forty at least. Now, yeah, he he got his uh, numbers efficiently, but he wasn't getting as many opportunities to score as you would think at that time. So I, I would say look at look at Shaq's um, final stats. Uh, take them uh, in context, maybe with a grain of salt. Uh, because Ben Wallace was probably the only player on earth capable of holding Shaq to 27 points without help. And by that, by that, that game, uh, I know, I know Shaq, uh, he just emptied the chamber in uh, game four. He had one of the better uh, finals games of his career, given that he was going up against, I think in that 04 Pistons team, maybe the greatest defensive team of all time, had a great game. Uh, Lakers lost anyway. And, by that time, um, Shaq was spent. Uh, you could tell it in game five with the Pistons up three games to one and, and looking at, at that championship trophy, uh, Ben Wallace played. He, he wasn't even tired. So like Shaq, that was the thing. Shaq used to wear players down all the time where they were, they had dead legs after by, by game four or five. And they just, they were like a boxer. They were just, uh, they were just ready to, to call it quits. You know, Ben Wallace still had plenty of his energy in game five, and Shaq was the one that was actually wearing down. He was kind of rope-a-doped. Uh, so in that, that game five, which everyone remembers as Ben Wallace's best game, he had several really great games and clutch moments. But I'm going to go to this one. Uh, he out he he just outplays Shaq. Uh, 18 points, 22 rebounds, three blocks. and was even better than that, really. Uh he, he was better than that stat line indicates. And the Pistons just blow out the Lakers. And, and Shaq really, you know, he plays, he, he plays okay. But, you know, Ben Wallace, who was just all over the place. And, you know, Shaq was, he was huffing and puffing up and down the court. I'll put it that way. He, he was ready for, for his summer vacation. And he was ready to find another team to play for. Because, you know, Ben Wallace had taken the will uh, right out of him and the Lakers. And that, that was... I, it's hard for me to argue against Chauncey Billups being the finals MVP. Uh, but I, I think at the time, maybe I would have given it to Ben Wallace because the, that, that Pistons team didn't win uh, that finals or any of those series that they, they played that year on the offensive end of the court. They won them all on defense. And Ben Wallace was without a doubt. Uh, I don't care that Ron Artest won defensive player of the year that one time in 04. I still would have given it to Ben, but I understand why Indiana had a great year, but I would have given that finals MVP to Ben Wallace. Uh, and, and again, this is one of those things that maybe today, maybe if that final series happens in 2022, uh, maybe I, I actually think Ben Wallace would have won it uh, today because we would have looked past the offensive numbers. We would have looked at, you know, the, the efficiency impact he had on the Lakers. So uh, looking past the offensive numbers is actually what I want to talk about next because, um, you know, well, real quick, uh, 
Ben Wallace spends two more years with the Pistons. They get back to the finals in 05, as everyone remembers. Um, there was the Malice in the Palace thing, which we won't get into today because we're going to do a whole episode on that eventually. Um, ben wins two more Defensive Player of the Year awards, uh, gets to the All-Star game a couple more times as well. Um, but I, what I really want to talk about is is Ben Wallace's impact from a, uh, I guess you could say a marketing standpoint, because when you look at Detroit, very often with the Pistons, they they don't have a player that is like known, you know, we had Isaiah, we had Grant Hill, and then, you know, those guys were scorers. They were, you know, they, they were all-time great uh, guys getting Playmakers, buckets. Yeah. Playmakers. And here's this guy, this defensive guy who was averaging like, you know, eight points a game. He's suddenly on the cover of, uh, you know, NBA 2K5. He's uh, he's in commercials. They're mentioning him in movies, uh, you know, Four Brothers. I know they talk about him in that. And, uh, you know, what what was it about Ben Wallace that was able to sort of overcome that, that uh, you know, you got to be a scorer to be a star? Um, what was it about Ben Wallace that attract, attracted everybody else? And, and here's the thing. I always wonder uh, what – Dennis Rodman must have thought looking at this because as much as, as, as loved as Dennis Rodman was locally, he wasn't really embraced nationally until much later in his career when he caught on with the bulls. I mean, people knew who he was obviously, but he wasn't like a, a media star. Uh, he wasn't the guy being mentioned on, on sit on TV sitcoms un, until the end of his career with Chicago. And, and Ben Wallace uh, was almost an immediate hit in Detroit. Um, really it took him one year uh, after that first year, um, when the Pistons started winning in year two, uh, I mean, he was just unique, man. He, he, he was an open book. He wore his heart on his sleeve. Uh, he had these, um, the, the NBA banned them for stupid reasons, but he had these really long uh, wristbands that said NFC on them. Uh, and it stood for no fly zone. And that was, that, that was kind of, uh, uh, that summed up what Ben Wallace's effect was on the floor. Like he, as a Pistons fan, and again, this is the lineage of the franchise. Um, we had established before he ever got here that we loved, you know, these special defensive minded uh, role players, but Ben Wallace took that one further and he became a star uh, doing uh, the dirty work. And again, he, he was this just bundle of energy uh, in this, you know, big Charles Oakley sized body. And even though he wasn't that tall, I mean, he was a, a strong guy and he was everywhere on the court. It's not just that he was a dominant rim protector. Uh, he was also a guy that could switch out on guards because uh, he, he had tremendous lateral uh, quickness. He, he could do almost anything you wanted him to do from a defensive standpoint. He was as close, not a perfect defender, but he was as close to a perfect de uh, defensive player as I've ever seen, at least personally in my lifetime. And yeah, he had the the big afro that he'd blow out for home games. Uh, I think he said later, you know, he did that, you know, for the fan because it got the fans pumped up, and the fans would in turn get him pumped up. Uh, he had the wristbands. He liked wearing the headbands. Like Ben Wallace, just uh, he he stood out. That that's the best way to put it. He he stood out even if he wasn't scoring a lot of points. He he was a guy that you you point at during the game and say, wow, man, that guy's worth the price of admission. Yeah, I mean, it was just truly incredible. It, it's always great to have a guy like that. And I think, you know, maybe, who knows, Cade Cunningham could be that next big 
star that uh, that everybody sees around the league. I mean, that slam cover that he was on. I mean, that was that was all time yeah. great. So uh, Ben Wallace finishes up his career with the with the Pistons. Uh, his run with the Pistons, his first run at least, decides to sign a four year, sixteen million dollar deal with the Chicago Bulls, and. This is where you really see Ben's career start to trend downward. Um, there are some injury issues. He gets moved out of Cle- uh, moved out of Chicago to go to Cleveland. Um, this is when LeBron was trying, you know, throwing everything at the wall, trying to get Cleveland to uh, to win the championship. Um, I, I wonder, you know, I look back at, at this time in Ben's career, and obviously, look, I don't think there's any regret there when it comes to getting the money. Like, you got to get the money. That's what you got to do. Yep. Uh, and I don't blame anybody for that, but I wonder if Ben maybe regrets his time away from Detroit at, you know, his time in Chicago and Cleveland. What are your thoughts? I am of two minds on this. I am never, ever, ever going to uh, blame a player for taking the money because at the end of the day, it's a business. Get the bag. And what, what, yeah, what, what the bulls were offering Ben was, I think he put it at the time was a chance to build generational wealth. It was, I think, three years, $46 million, which was an enormous uh, amount of money. And from the Pistons perspective, you got to understand, uh, one, he he didn't really get along with Flip Saunders, uh, even though Flip Saunders was a very good coach in his own right. Uh, both Larry Brown and, to a lesser extent, Rick Carlisle, they both understood that, to you know, as Shaq put it, if the big dog doesn't get fed, the house doesn't get guarded. And uh, Larry Brown would give Ben Wallace, he would at least try to give Ben Wallace the first shot of every half, uh, just to make him feel like he was uh, valued, just to make him feel like he was involved. Uh, Flip Saunders was just about, a, all, all he saw was numbers, which isn't an inherently bad thing, but you also have to understand you're dealing with human beings. And for the first time since he got to Detroit, I think Ben Walls maybe felt like he wasn't the most important player on the team anymore because Flip went to this uh, high efficiency offensive philosophy. Their defensive efficiency dipped a little bit. And you understand Ben Walls, he was going on, I think, 32 by the time free agency rolled around in 2006. And if, if you're Joe Dumars and you have a strict no no luxury tax policy, which the Pistons did at that time, uh, and you're looking at, you've got Ben Wall, you just re-signed Tayshaun Prince to a big deal. Uh, you've got Chauncey Billups, he, you know he's hitting free agency a year from now. He's two years younger than Ben. And you have Rip Hamilton hitting free agency two years down the road, and he's four years younger than Ben. And then you have Ben Wallace, who for all the praise that we've heaped on him at the time was a guy that was great primarily because yes, he was a very intelligent defender, but he also, he needed that otherworldly motor, that athleticism uh, to get him to do the things that he knew he had to do. And you knew he would have maybe one, maybe two good years left in him. So if you're, if you're Joe Dumars and you, you have a choice to either go all in on this 2007 season, knowing that you'll probably have to let your franchise point guard go in a year because you won't be able to afford him. Or you could try to play the long game and try to see if you can try to see if you can uh, find someone who maybe won't be Ben Wallace, but maybe will still contribute enough to get you to the champ to a, to a finals 
you know, two, three years down the road, give yourself multiple cracks at it. And Ben Wall or uh, Joe Dumars uh, chose the the other option. He he chose to let Ben Wallace go. Ben Wallace actually gave the Pistons a chance to match Chicago's offer. And, you know, Joe Dumars, you know, said thanks, but no thanks. And I, I actually don't blame Ben Wallace for taking the money. And I don't blame Joe for for passing on giving him the money. And that's kind of what happened in Chicago. Uh, ben Wallace was still Ben Wallace. Uh, he didn't have the same numbers because he didn't have the type of team around him in, in 07 with the Bulls. But he was still very good. The Bulls had the best defense in the league that year. And, you know, they, they, they got, he got them past uh, the defending champions, Miami Heat. Um, he played a big part of that defensively in the first round. And then in the second round, as fate would have it, they went up against the Pistons who had uh, at that time, they had Chris Weber playing center. And that team was, there were, there was just no way that the Bulls were going to beat that Pistons team, no matter what Ben Wallace did. And they, they just shredded them. Uh, and I know that it, the Bulls won two games. It, the Pistons, it was over in six, but the Pistons could very easily have swept Chicago. They, they were just that much better. And like you said, um, after that, the Bulls kind of, he and Scott Skiles, uh, who was coach of the Bulls at that time, they didn't get along at all. Because Scott Skiles, I don't know why, had a no headband wearing policy. And it's just, dumb, yeah. Dumb, it, dumb. Yeah. Yep. And it ate it, 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 it caused a really unnecessary rift between he and Ben Wallace. And Ben Wallace wasn't happy in Chicago. So to, in a roundabout way of answering your question, I think Ben Wallace, I don't think he would ever give the money back. I don't think he ever regrets taking the money. But I think he, if you if you gave him some truth serum, he probably would tell you he he really wishes that he could have gotten that money from the Pistons. Yeah, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that uh, that little time happened. But I get it. You know, like I said, you got to get the bag. Yep. Uh, so you know, he goes to Cleveland for a little while again, trying to help LeBron bring that title. And then uh, it, interesting one that I totally forgot about uh, the the Cavs traded Ben Wallace to the Phoenix mm -hmm. Suns for Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, which is an interesting one. That's also, you know, that whole Shaq, the end of his career. I wish that Shaq would have just left after Miami, but I, you know, whatever, I get it. He's trying to be Kobe. Um, so yeah, the, the, the Suns buy out Ben Wallace and now Ben Wallace is a free agent and he comes back home. Um, talk to me about that late, that last run in Detroit where Ben is kind of the, the older guy. Um, he's wearing number six, um he has a big milestone where he, he he plays the most games by an undrafted player of all time uh but yeah talk tell me about that uh that last three years in detroit yeah so after that first year in in chicago after they traded him to, to cleveland i think for the first time since ben's orlando days he like he was playing but he was just a guy like the, he was not being treated as the guy that you know, we're, we're anchoring our team around. He was just a guy that's out there to do a role. And when he was traded to the Suns and the Suns bought him out and he came back to Detroit, which didn't surprise me at all because Joe was still running the team at the time. And I always felt that it, Joe always valued Ben Wallace. He just didn't want to pay him that type of money, but I still felt that Joe valued him more as I think he valued him as much, if not more, than any other GM in the league still at, at Ben Wallace's mid-30s. So now we have this period of, of of time where Ben Wallace looks – everyone thinks Ben Wallace is finished. 
And Ben Wallace actually comes to Detroit and his, his rate, he doesn't play as many minutes cause he's 36, 37 years old. Uh, but we, we, it's, it's a period of time that, that us fans that remember that those early 2010s teams, uh, we call it the Renaissance where, where, where Ben Wallace comes in and he's almost playing at an all-star level. Like he, he is really, really close. Even though the Pistons were bad, uh, during that time, they weren't even close to a playoff team. So people didn't really notice, but the people in Detroit noticed. And yeah, for for at least the first half of his uh first or second season uh back in Detroit, it he he came very his numbers were were very, very close to what they were when he left Detroit. And his his uh rebounding efficiency, his his shot blocking efficiency, they, they all popped not to where he was during his defensive player of the year days, but they were close. And yeah, he, he has this wonderful, uh, at least for the first two of his three years uh, that he finished in Detroit, uh, really, really, um, he, he, he wasn't quite as fast as he was. He, he, he couldn't jump quite as high as he used to, but he was still a really effective player. And you, you saw that, that intelligence that he had um, on the defensive end of the floor that was still as sharp as ever. Uh, I, I want to say, uh, the, the irony is he actually scored his career high in points um, his second to last year in Detroit against the Raptors. Uh, I think eight, eight from 10, eight, eight out of 10 from the floor. Uh, he hit a three pointer. He scored, he had 23 points, 14 rebounds and five blocks. And the, the Pistons still lost that game, which is how you would tell they were really bad at that time. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I would like to, to recognize the, the Renaissance era uh, because that was one of the the few occasions where you can say, okay, this this player was special, but he was special to um, the franchise that he was special. Uh, they they had a relationship together. Like the Pistons and Ben Wallace went hand in hand. They were both better when they were with each other. All right. Well, now it's time to get to the big conversations. <clears throat> it's time to talk about the legacy. Um, we're going to obviously talk about the Hall of Fame and all that, but first let me let me go with two different things is a ben wallace the greatest undrafted player of all time and b is he the greatest defensive player to ever do it and if he's not the greatest is he at least on the mount rushman all right to answer your first question this is actually a, this is almost a trick question in a way is ben wallace the best undrafted free uh undrafted player ever uh like if you if you look at the list of players that were undrafted, you'll, you'll come up with John Starks, Brad Miller, uh, Fred Van Vliet is probably the, the strongest challenger right now. Uh, ben Wallace obviously outstrips all of them. However, uh, there was a player by the name of Connie Hawkins, uh, one of the legendary, legendary players of all time. Uh, he, he obviously, he would have been drafted uh, had the NBA not banned him uh, for being involved in a point shaving scandal at Iowa. And so, yeah, you can say Connie Hawkins, better player than Ben Wallace, probably. But uh, though though there were circumstances that led to him not being drafted, it's not that for the, the normal undrafted player, it's that they, they were an unknown or that people didn't think that highly of them. Everybody in the world thought Connie Hawkins was one of the best players on earth. That's not the reason why he went drafted. So I even though Connie Hawkins didn't get get picked, um, the NBA eventually let him play, I think, six or seven years down the road after he did a stint in the ABA. 
but I, I don't really count Honey Connie Hawkins in that category, but I would like to recognize him anyway. Um, as far as the greatest defensive players of all time, um, I, I don't think that there's an argument that you can make against Bill Russell. Uh, I, I think he's laughably far ahead of everybody else that's ever played the game of basketball. Uh, but I, I think in a lot of ways, um, Ben Wallace is actually the closest thing we've had to Bill Russell since Bill Russell. Uh, it, it's not just that, you know, he was a, in his prime, he was a monster at defending the rim. He was a outstanding rebounder. Uh, but it, it's that he was, he was so efficient. I, and, and again, this stat uh, has been making its rounds around Twitter uh, over the last week, but Ben Wallace, again, no one kept um, block shots until 74. They, they didn't count turnovers until the early eighties. So you have to take the, this uh, statistic in context, but still Ben Wallace is the only player ever to have retired with more block shots than fouls and more steals than turnovers. Now, if, if you put that into perspective, not, not only is he aggressively impacting your defense in a positive way, but he's also not giving up free throws. He's also not turning the ball over and hurting your transition defense. Uh, The thing is, even most players that win defensive player of the year, uh, like Dwight Howard, for instance, or Ronald, like these guys are still committing fouls. Like these guys are taking gambles. Ben Wallace, what made Ben Wallace special was he knew exactly. He was like the Steve Nash of defense. He was just hyper efficient. He knew at certain points that it was better to just give up the two points than to try to make a low percentage gamble that would result in uh, maybe a, a dumb foul or free throws or maybe an end one. Like Ben Wallace got this rep that he wasn't a strong post defender, which was BS. He, he was a very strong post defender. Uh, it, it's just that when in certain situations, which happened to everyone during a game where you you just get in a bad spot and you get a guy that is two feet away from the rim and he's seven feet tall. Ben Wallace would, 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 he would just put his arms up, give a good contest and, you know, hope for a miss. Whereas everybody else on earth is taught to, you know, no layups, you know, this machismo, you know, hammer the guy and Ben Wallace wouldn't do that. And you know what that allowed him to do? It allowed him to stay on the floor for another uh, 10 possessions. And in effect, the, the next 10, he always was thinking down the road, I'm going to, I'm going to lose this battle, but I'm going to win the war because I'm going to stay on the floor and I'm not going to get into foul trouble. My team is not going to get into the penalty. Uh, yes. Uh, the Pistons actually gave up a lot of layups during Ben Wallace's time, but they also didn't give up a whole lot of free throws. They didn't send teams to the line. Uh, they, they didn't do the, the, the dumb stuff that gets you into trouble. And I want to add one more thing. Since so you brought up that uh, 2003 season, uh, where he averaged 15 rebounds, three blocks. Uh, all right. He is the only player. I, I want I want you to look at how many fouls he averaged that season. He's only two and a half. He, he averaged 15 rebounds, three blocks, only two and a half fouls. Uh, he is the only player since 1976 that's ever done that. To average that many rebounds, that many block shots, and, and average that few fouls in a season. He, he he stands by himself over the last 57 years or excuse me 47 years uh in nba history i we 
oftentimes we bring up individual efficiency. It's always on the offensive end. Uh, I, I think Ben Wallace uh, needs to be recognized uh, for his defensive efficiency and for how productive he was uh, despite uh, not being a guy that wouldn't gamble. Like, like you see Rasheed Wallace, like you, you watch him on defense, great, smart defender, but he would take a lot of risks and he would be in foul trouble all the time because he, he was all arms. He'd constantly swipe at the ball. He'd constantly uh, go for block shots. Ben Wallace was more productive and he wouldn't need to do any of that. So anyway, that, 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 that is the thing that I think people don't see about Ben Wallace that I would like to spotlight was his, his, his raw efficiency as a defensive player. Yeah. So, I mean, he's definitely, definitely on the Mount Rushmore then. He's gotta be, I mean, I know you, you brought up Bill Russell, but Bill Russell yeah. was playing against, you know, milkmen and plumbers and stuff. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everybody relax. I'm joking around. I've nothing but respect for Bill Russell. One of the greats of all time. No doubt. Uh, all right. Let's talk about uh, speaking of greats of all time. Ben Wallace goes into the hall of fame and there's some hoopla surrounding it because uh, you know, he he's not typically the type of player that would go into the hall. So Look, I, I'll i take this first, Keith. I know you have some things to say, but let me let me just say this first. It can't be all the scorers. I mean, you can't just put guys into the Hall of Fame because they can score a lot of points. If that were the case, then Xavier McDaniel would be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it, like, it, and, and hey, look, nothing but love for the X-Men. But, but, he's, but he's not, he's not, uh, he didn't transcend the game. Ben, ben Wallace was in, unbelievable transcendent defender during a time where you know you had guys like Shaq and Dirk and like just guys that were very hard to defend Matumbo Yao Ming I mean like he held his own he and more than held his own he was the best defensive player of that entire era not just for a couple of years that entire era he is the best defensive player of that time and if you're going to say something like Ben Wallace doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, well, then you're going to have to you're going to have to explain to me why Dennis Rodman does, because we're talking about pretty identical stat lines here in terms of, you know, I think uh, Dennis Rodman, I'm looking at it now, averaged 7.3 points per game. I mean, it wasn't anything, you know, amazing. Obviously, uh, nobody was a better rebounder than Dennis Rodman, bar none, best rebounder that ever played. Maybe Bill Russell is ahead of him, but you you just can't you you can't you can't exclude a guy from from the Hall of Fame because he doesn't doesn't score a lot of points. I mean, I think there should be more defenders going. I think you should put Charles Oakley in the Hall of Fame. I, I think you should put a, a bunch of different guys into. I think Bruce Bowen should go into the Hall of Fame. I mean, I defensive players. Tony Allen should get a spot in the Hall of Fame. There should be a defensive wing. And and it should be called the Ben Wallace Hall of Fame wing. Uh, Keith, I'll I'll step out of the way. I'll clear out, and I'll let you you take this one to the hole. All right. So, look, we we both grew up Pistons uh, fans. You know, defense was our that was our window to the game. Uh, but that also makes us very unique uh, among NBA fandoms. I, I I understand. The reality is that individually at least it, the game is probably two-thirds offense one-third defense in terms of how the average player impacts the game 
So yeah, offense is more important to a degree. But I, I would say this, uh, it, if any player, I don't care what their numbers were, if any player was unquestionably the leader of the greatest offensive team of all time, uh, you would point to them and put them in the Hall of Fame, and you wouldn't even need to look at the statistics. That would just be automatic. Uh, ben Wallace, and I stand by this, for one season, maybe not for a period of time, but for one season, that 2004 Pistons team, after they were acquired Rasheed Wallace, uh, all the way from there to the end of the finals, uh, was laughably uh the most dominant defensive team of all time and it's not even close and ben wallace was unquestionably the anchor of that legendary defense and if, if you can't look at that 04 pistons team uh which ben was the foundation of without a doubt uh if you can't look at them uh and what they did to the lakers in the finals and say and, and you you still don't think that ben wallace deserves uh to be in the Hall of Fame, I'm not sure if I, re I respect your opinion, to be honest, because you're not looking at the game uh, through through an objective lens. I And, and that, that's very strong for me to say, because I usually respect uh, where people are coming from uh, on different subjects. But it, it, as far as Ben Wallace goes, I don't think, I don't see how you can look at him and say, like you said, I don't know how you can look at him and say that he's not a Hall of Famer, but look at Dennis Rodman and say he's he's one of the top 75 players of all time. And I don't know if Rodman would be on my 75 list, but I respect him there. But I, the only difference between Rodman and Ben Wallace from a, an accomplishment standpoint is, is Dennis Rodman has five rings. Ben Wallace has one. But Dennis Rodman also played with, you know, on two of the greatest teams of all time with the late 90s Bulls and the late 80s Pistons. Like he he wasn't the best player on the on that bad boys team. He was at best he was maybe the third best most important player, and just like with same thing with the Bulls, he was at best their third most important player. Uh, with the O four Pistons, you could make an you can make an argument that he's not their most important, and I respect it. But you could also make a very strong important uh strong argument that he is the most important player on a championship team. And to me, that that rings louder. That one ring, uh, ring, that one championship rings louder to me than the five that Dennis Rodman won. So, yes, Dennis Rodman, I, I can see him being in the top seventy-five. But you know what? I can also see Ben Wallace being in that top seventy-five and taking Dennis Rodman's spot. Like to me, it's it's that close. And I I don't think people look at the things that Ben Wallace accomplished in that context, because maybe he, he didn't play with a Kobe Bryant. Like he, he played with LeBron, but at the very end of his career, but in his prime, uh, we call them the best five alive, but the, the bottom line is he played with Chauncey Billups and Rich Ham Richard Hamilton, uh, Jerry Stackhouse for a couple of years, uh, Tayshaun Prince, Rasheed, Rasheed Wallace might've been the best all around player that he ever played with. And if if you look at the other guys that won rings during that time, uh, that's really impressive that Ben Wallace was able to accomplish that much without, you know, a top shelf, top five superstar on his team. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I just don't, I, I think it's a dead argument really. I mean, I, I think, you know, he wasn't on that top 75 team. There's a lot of guys that weren't on that top 75 team that probably should have like Tracy McGrady, for example. Mm-hmm. I think when there's that top 100, I think, I think maybe you see Ben Wallace get added to that. Um, you know, so yeah, uh, 
I think that closes out Ben Wallace. The last thing I'll say is when are we going to get that going to work 30 for 30? What, when are we going to get it? Because I, I, people have to understand in a world where the NBA was ruled by the Kobe Bryant's, the, the Dirk's superstar teams came this one team full of what I think most people would thought were role players everywhere else. And, and and they combined to make like this unbelievable unit that just, just you couldn't you couldn't score on them. You just could not score on this team. And I, I I've never seen anything like it since, and I never saw anything like that before. And that's why I think you know this team needs to be celebrated a little bit more. It, it does. I I do want to say one thing real quick. I do worry just about I. I I'm interested in a 30 for 30 on the 04 Pistons as long as it's done from the right perspective because I can see I can see someone trying to to play to the popularity uh angle and making it more about, you know, Shaq and Kobe going through, you know, turmoil as opposed to the Pistons being a, a historically great defensive team that year. So I, if they do it, that's great. I would love to see it. I just want to make sure it's done right and giving credit where credit is due as opposed to finding who to blame as opposed to who to credit for that championship season. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of that. I, mm-hmm. I really, I really am tired of that. You know, turmoil, turmoil, my ass. I'm sorry. I'm getting, you know, turmoil. I don't care. They made it to the NBA finals and they were still an extremely efficient NBA team regardless of this turmoil that, you know, I think is, has for years been sort of overblown. And I think both guys, you know, uh, if Kobe were still here, he'd probably say the same thing that that turmoil was probably overblown. It was a competitive edge. Uh, it's not like these guys hated each other. They just, they, you know, they, when you're super competitive, it, it, it can, it can be negative when with another person who's also, just as competitive as you are and you wind up wanting to outshine each other more than you want to work together. But that doesn't mean that the Lakers were this, uh, you know, team that limped over to the finish line. I mean, they, they dominated and got to the finals and then they got dominated. I mean, it just, that's what happened. It's not like the Lakers missed just shots at the end of the game and blah, blah, blah. They just, they got beat and they got beat real good. Um, But that's that. And that's, something that we'll ha- we'll talk about at another time we'll definitely have a 2004 pistons episode we'll get fully into it um but keith before we get out of here do you have anything else you'd like to add uh no i th- i think that pretty much wraps it up uh yeah. my name's uh keith black trudeau uh, my my twitter account is mainly where people can reach me uh, can reach me uh charlatan uh 28 i post uh, historical videos that I cut up every weekend uh, out of my extensive archive, I call it the vault. And uh, if if you look at the things that the videos that I posted in the last week, um, there's a there's a Ben Wallace uh, highlight reel that from his Pistons uh, days that that took me forever. I was so happy that it caught on because man, that that was a lot, a lot of work to cut that thing up. And I also I also paid a little nod to the Teal Pistons this week by, by showing a video of the original uh, jumbotron uh, starting lineup introductions from 1997. Yeah, you got to watch that one. That one hit me in the feels directly, in the feels. 
Uh, I, I am on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton. Um, Lions training camp is starting up this week. So keep a, keep an eye out uh, for my work on pride of Detroit. I'm going to have some stuff coming out. I've got a lot of things to say. Hard knocks is coming up. Um, I'm going to try my best to get on hard knocks. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, next week we've got a, uh, I think an interesting show next week. We're going to be redrafting the 1986 NBA draft, which is a really interesting group of players. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to, I, I, th- I think I have my number one pick already and I think it might blow people away. But, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about with the Len Bias stuff. And mm-hmm. you've got uh, both John Sally and Dennis Rodman in this draft. You've got uh, Jeff Hornacek, who was a walking bucket. Uh, we're going to definitely have to talk about Hornacek a little bit. You got Drazen uh, Petrovic. You, there's a lot to talk about in this draft. And I am looking forward to this one. It may not look like a, a draft full of star players or anything. And it's not. But, uh, but that's going to be a fun one. Mm-hmm. we're a sec- second straight year we're going to be or a second straight uh redraft that we are going to take a a hall of fame player that the pistons stole later on in the draft and we're going to be giving him his his rightful place in the top 10 yep looking forward to that looking forward to both of those guys um and uh you know maybe i'll pick del curry with the first pick i don't know uh <laughs> i'm not gonna pick del curry all right, we'll uh we'll we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening and uh have a good one.